Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. Now we're over here studying the book of Daniel. And we are now in chapter 4. We saw how Daniel was brought into Babylon, and he came as a captive, but uh, I don't know how long exactly it took, but before you knew it, this guy's owning the place. I mean, God just blessing Daniel and exalting him left and right. Why? Because he was a man of God. Because he was a man full of God, a man full of the wisdom of God, the Spirit of God, a man consecrated, dedicated, set apart for God, one who would not defile themselves with the ways of this world, but wanted to follow God's way of doing things in all things. And as a result of that, although he should have been a captive, an oppressed person, he was an exceedingly blessed person. Hallelujah. So it doesn't matter really the conditions, where you are and what's going on around you and what they say your social status should be. If God be for you, who could be against you? You're coming up and you're going over. Now, of course, a lot of Daniel's coming up and going over, his being exalted and prospered came through some very, very, very severe life-threatening trials and tests. But he came through them, keeping his eyes on God. And at a time when he should have been killed, he ended up becoming a leader of the land. Became friends with the king, who originally wanted to have him killed. And so we saw that with Daniel. Then we saw it with with Daniel, you know, interpreting the dream. Not only interpreting the king's dream, but he had to tell the the king the dream and then interpret it. But how many people know nothing's too hard for God? He can do it. God can get us out of anything. I said, God can get us out of anything. We never have to feel trapped because God's never trapped. And God's in you. God's with us. And it's through God that we live our life. So if God's not like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? Then we don't ever have to be, oh, no, what am I going to do now? All we have to do is say, Lord, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are we going to do? Not desperately, what are we going to do? Like, just, what are we going to do? In faith. In faith. You know, you can ask something in faith, or you can ask it in fear. It's the same question, but it's how you ask it. And then how you ask it determines how it's going to turn out for you. So we want to ask in faith. Trusting God, knowing God will show me, God will do it, God will take care of us, God will get us out of anything that we get into. And then Daniel had some friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who also are captives in Babylon. But then these guys were threatened that they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. I mean, it was a very, very dire situation. But they didn't fear. And they didn't compromise their convictions. And they trusted God. And as a result of that, they went from being killed in a fiery furnace to actually being exalted in the land of Babylon and prospered greatly. I I think some of our biggest prosperity, our biggest blessings are on the other side of some big trials and tests. 
so we can't be afraid of the trials and tests. You know, we got to look to the reward. That's how Jesus endured the cross. Despising the shame, he looked past it to the reward. Look to the reward. Faith looks to the reward. It knows there's something good on the other side of this. There's victory on the other side of this. There's blessing on the other side of this. Man, we're going to get through this. I don't know exactly how we're going to get through it, but I'm just going to follow God, and he's going to lead us through this thing, and we're going to be in the blessing. We're going to walk in the glory of God. So now, here we are in chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has another dream. He had a dream vision. If you look at verse 9, he says to Daniel, explain to me the vision of my dream. The vision of my dream. So it wasn't just a dream, it was a vision dream. It was a vision dream. It was a spiritual dream that he had. Not every dream that someone dreams is a spiritual dream. There's a few different reasons why people have dreams. You want me to take a moment and share that with you? One of the reasons why people have dreams is that they talk too much. Your mouth can cause a lot of dreams. How many people dream a lot in here? It might mean that you talk too much, too much. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Many words, many words cause dreams. Now, I know there's other translations that say things completely different, but this, this is the one that I have a conviction on. And I believe this is, this is the correct translation. So a dream comes uh, through, he says, much activity. So uh, in other words, I, I believe people working, depending on what you're doing. If you've got a lot going on, you're a real busy person. You've got a lot of activity, a lot of things on your mind. And then you go to bed, running around, racing all day, going to and fro. And then you lie down. Uh, many times you'll have a lot of dreams, And many times in those dreams, there'll be things going on that have to do with your running around. A lot of things going on, a lot of things that you're doing. And I just believe that's your your mind trying to process everything. You have all this activity going on and on and on, and now you lie down and your mind is just busy processing everything and trying to put it all in order. And then a fool's voice is known by his many words. That goes right along with dreams. And so, again, I believe it has to do with talking, 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 talking can cause a lot of dreams. Another reason for dreams is uh, God will put his instruction in us through a dream. Job chapter 33 verse 14 says, for God, for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens their ears, opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. And, and again, it's something that you're not even really aware of. You're having a dream and God is putting instruction in you. And then Psalm 17 verse 3 lets us know that dreams can come to test us. To see where you're at. How you will handle certain situations. 
If you see yourself in a dream and you react in fear or you fall to a temptation or something like that in a dream, take heed, consider, hmm, is this what I would do if put in that situation? Psalm 17, 3, it says, you have tested my heart, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Again, there's God coming in the night, testing you while you're on your bed. That would be a, in a dream. And, uh, and the mouth, again, is involved in that. So let's make sure we pass all the tests. Even in our dreams, we need to come out on top. We need to handle, we need to handle things, even in our dreams, well. Back to Daniel, chapter 4, verse 10. It says, these were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. By the way, uh, before he called, before the king called Daniel to interpret the dream for him, he first called his, his uh, sorcerers, his magicians, his, the Chaldeans and all the different ones that uh, he used to always looked to for wisdom, and none of them, once again, had the answer. You know, the world doesn't have a lot of the answers that the world needs, but the church does. Number one, if you got Jesus, you got the answer. Every say, Jesus is the answer. Which way do we go? I am the way. Well, I just don't know what's true or not. I am the truth. I am the life. That's who Jesus is. So, you know, by having him, you have the answer. You have the answer to everything you need to know in life. And so, you know, but none of these people, the world, you know, they're, they're, they got opinions, a lot of opinions. Well, I believe, I think, I think, I think, I think. But thank God we don't just think, we know, we know, we know. Right? Because if you've heard from God, you know. There's no more thinking about it. We know it. Even if it's something that hasn't even physically happened yet, we still know. Verse uh, 11, he says, uh, he, he says, there was this tree in the midst of the earth, verse 10, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Now you remember, we said this last time, that Jesus said over in John's gospel, he told the religious people of his day who had the Old Testament scriptures, including Daniel, he said, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but they are that which testify of me. So, so what you're reading in the Old Testament reveals me. It's talking about me. Now, Daniel didn't know Jesus. Jesus had not yet come. But we know Jesus. And so we have even greater light than Daniel had. And so there is a spiritual interpretation to this dream. Daniel is going to give a personal interpretation to the king. But first, I want us to look at it with spiritual eyes and see it by looking at Jesus. Can we see Jesus in this dream? Again, he sees a tree 
in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. Now, the tree represents Christ who was crucified for you and me. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ, uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, for it is written, cursed is everyone that, what, hangeth on a tree, on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree for you and me. So this tree represents Christ who is crucified on a tree, crucified for you and me. And then verse 11 says, the tree grew and became, became strong. Its height reached to the heaven. So notice, verse 10 says, it was in the midst of the earth, but it reached to the heavens. How many of you know Jesus said after rising from the dead, he said, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and in earth. Jesus gained authority through his death, burial, and resurrection, both in heaven and in earth. Then it goes on and says, uh, and it could be seen, this tree could be seen to the ends of all the earth. How do you know Jesus is being made known throughout the whole world? He said concerning the end times, this gospel of the kingdom about Jesus shall be preached in all the world to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. So we see Jesus in that dream. Moving on here in verse 12, it says, its leaves were lovely. Its leaves were lovely. Well, if you go over to the book of Revelation, it refers to leaves as healing. It says it's for the healing of the nations. How many people know Jesus came and brought healing? He brought healing to his generation, physical healing, but then also through him, now through the body of, excuse me, through the body of Christ, he brings healing to the world. It's fruit abundant. How many people know he came to give us an abundant or an abundantly fruitful life? This is the kind of life Jesus gives us. And in it was food for all. Food for all. How many people know Jesus said in John the sixth chapter that he was heavenly food? He was food for us, spiritual food for us to partake of. It goes on, the beasts of the field found shade under it. The beasts of the field found shade under it would be sinners. Sinners finding salvation in him. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. That's you and I, the saints abiding in him. He's the vine we are the branches. And all flesh was fed from it. Heavenly people, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is in the dream. Verse 13. I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, probably an angel. And he cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Chop down the tree. This is speaking of and being stripped. How many people know Jesus was crucified 
for you and me. This is speaking of that crucifixion. Verse 15, nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Jesus was bound in the heart of the earth, in hell. Jesus descended down into the heart of the earth. And hell is referred to in one place as the iron furnace. The iron furnace. This is speaking of Jesus descending down, being bound in hell for you and I. And the bronze there represents judgment. Judgment of God was upon him. He took our judgment upon himself. He says, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. How many people know Jesus became sin for you and I? He became a sinner. He became what you were so that you can become what he is. He is righteous. His righteousness was restored to him at the resurrection. But when he hung on that cross for you and I, and he's descended down into hell and took that judgment, he became sin, sinfulness. He became a beast. Remember, uh, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, likening himself to a serpent. And a serpent is a type of Satan and a type of sin. Jesus became a snake. He became a sinner. He became a beast. He became a devil. He became sin. He became something demonic so that you and I could be set free from all those things because that's what you and I are apart from him. No matter how nice you smile and pretty you look, that's what you are apart from Jesus. So he became, a, his heart was changed. That's why he needed to be born again. He's the firstborn of many brethren. Firstborn from the dead. Born again. He needed to be born again. And let seven times pass over him. Seven, throughout the word of God, uh, is symbolic of fulfillment or completion. How many people know Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. It is fulfilled. He fulfilled all righteousness. All righteousness. Verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives to it whoever, whomever he will. He sets over it the lowest of men. Notice that. He says that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. I got news for you. Before Jesus came and did what he did, the Most High did not rule in the kingdom of men. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 tells us that Satan is the God of this world. He ruled in the kingdom of men. Because Adam sold out, sold his authority over to Satan. Satan became the God of this world or the God over mankind. Satan ruled. But then Jesus came and he stripped Satan of that authority. You remember in the wilderness, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted. 
In verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him, Jesus, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of men, in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Once again, it's all about worship. Devil is after your worship. He's after your devotion. But notice that Satan, this was a legitimate temptation to Jesus. Jesus didn't say, ah, devil, none of this belongs to you. No, it did belong to him. It was given to him by Adam. It was delivered to him. And he gives it to whomever he wishes. Of course, he never would have gave it to Jesus, even if Jesus did bow down and worship him. He's a liar, right? And so, but Jesus took it from him. Outsmarted the devil through the cross, through his death, burial, resurrection, and he took it from him. And now glory be to God, Satan has lost his seat over mankind, and now Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He is now the ruler of the known world. Hallelujah. He rules in the kingdom of men. Thus the Most High, through Jesus, now rules in the kingdom of men. And remember, the Most High gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. Remember, Jesus said that he was meek, meek. And lowly, he was humble. And so it was all given to Jesus. Praise God, the meek aren't weak. The meek inherit the earth. The meek inherit the earth. They take over the place, praise God. So that's mine by the Holy Spirit, spiritual interpretation of the dream. And then, like I said, Daniel gives a personal interpretation to the king. Which is just so awesome because I got news for you. You look at a dream, you look at a vision, you look at the Word of God, and it is full of all kinds of instruction. It is full of all kinds of wisdom concerning the past, the present, the future, concerning today, concerning tomorrow. You could read something today. It'll help. This, God will show you something, how this applies and how it speaks to you today. The Word is living. It's speaking to you today. And then, you know, a week later, you go through something, God will give you the same word and tell you something totally different. Not that the other was wrong, but you see, it's living. And out of it will come revelation for what you need next week. So I believe there's a lot of ways, a lot of different interpretations by the Holy Spirit, not private interpretations, but interpretations by the Holy Spirit of many of the things that we read in the Word of God when it comes to dreams and visions like this. Lots, lots of things there. So here, we just saw something about Jesus that shows us our redemption. I mean, it just showed our whole redemption, what Jesus came and did for us, what he was going to come and do for us. We just saw it there in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. But now here, it's a word right in season, specifically about the king who had the dream. And so the tree, Daniel gives the interpretation. I don't have to read all of it. You can read it for yourself. He gives the interpretation. He says, the tree is you, Nebuchadnezzar. So the tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar. The cutting down of the tree was, to, was uh, showing King Nebuchadnezzar that he would lose 
his kingdom, his throne, to temporary insanity. He was going to lose his mind. And the band of iron and bronze around the stump showed that his empire would be preserved and eventually restored to him. And so, after that interpretation, you know, you think the king would walk real cautiously, right? But, verse 28, you know, some lessons you just don't learn unless you go through the test. I said, some lessons you just don't learn until you go through the test. I mean, somebody can come up and tell you, you are, not, you are going to deny me three times tonight. No, I'm not. But, before you know it, he's denying three times. Why? Because he was more sure of himself than he should have been. He had more confidence in himself than he should have had. And as a result of that, he fell and didn't learn the humble lesson just by mere words. He learned the humble lesson by going through, the tri- by falling into the fiery trial and test that tried him. I'm talking about Peter. And the same is true here. Same is true here with Nebuchadnezzar. He was told this. But nevertheless, it didn't stop it from coming to pass. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying... Is, this, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling in my, by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? I mean, he stands there, he goes out there on the balcony, you know, and he just looks over and he goes, man, this is all mine. I built this. I did this. And he just starts patting himself on the back. You know, he just starts thinking of how great he is. I mean, he's greater than anybody out there. Nobody has accomplished what he has accomplished. He's amazing. It's amazing how quick people forget God. I mean, this man just saw three Hebrew guys in a fire not getting burned. And he... He said, your God is God. There's nobody that could do this. Then before that with Daniel, he fell down at Daniel's feet. And he said, no, nobody could have done this. Nobody could have done this. Your God is God. I mean, he's just in awe of God. Gets up, decrees to the whole land how great God is. You know, how awesome God is. He rules in heaven. He is awesome. And next thing you know, he's singing how great he is. How great he is. How quickly people forget. You know, you can be great one day and an absolute noodlehead fool the next. Did you know that about yourself? You could be so smart one day and the stupidest, stupidest person the next day. Do you know that? You know, it's humility to know that. Humility, humility knows that about itself, and so it protects itself from pride. It guards itself. If you don't know that about yourself, then you can get pretty uh, impressed with yourself and, and fall from the faith, fall from your steadfastness with God, walking with God, fall from Him, fall from grace. So we never, we got to watch about, you know, thinking we've arrived and how wonderful we are. I've gone out in my backyard. I've got a little deck out there. It's, you know, it's a walkout 
house, so you go out on the deck, and it's high up there. I've walked out there a few times and overlooked the yard and have said, is this not my yard (laughs) that I've made with my hands? (laughs) I just do a kid around, praise God. (laughs) But he meant it. He meant it. He took the glory. Now watch what happens, verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Why is this being spoken in heaven? Because you spoke it on the earth. Because of what you said on earth, set things on course from heaven. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God rules here. God gave this to you. Should have gave him the glory. That very hour was, that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now that all happened within within that hour of him saying, Speaking those words, is this not Babylon that I have created by my power for my glory? Within that hour, because he said those words, what happened to him? He became demon-possessed. That's what this is. This is demon possession. What do you mean? For that saying, the devil has entered him. See, you remember Jesus, uh, that he was walking along one day. And there was a woman crying out to him on behalf of her child who she said was severely demon-possessed. And Jesus ignored her at first, but she continued after him. And then he made the statement. He said, it's not right to give the children's bread to the little dogs. How many people know your child doesn't become demon-possessed unless you're living like a dog? She was probably living a very unclean life, opened the door, demons came in, possessed, severely possessed her daughter. Aren't you glad the devil can't just come in and just take over somebody just at his will? No, people have to open the door. That's what Bob says, give no place to the devil. But anyway, Jesus said, it's not right to give the children bread to the little dogs. And she said, true, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. When Jesus heard that statement, he said, he said, woman, for this saying, the demon has gone out of your daughter. Didn't you say, Jesus cast the devil out. Jesus put her in a position to utter words that cast the devil out. See, it was probably her words, her lifestyle that put the devil in. Jesus got her to utter words in humility to get the devil out. For this saying, the devil has gone out of your daughter. Well, see, you can flip that around. If for sayings, devils can go out of people, 
then for sayings, demons can go in people. Got to watch what you say. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We got to watch how we talk. That's all a part of not giving place to evil spirits. And sometimes our deliverance from demons, not necessarily demon possession, but just from demons, can just be through your words, by the things you say. By the things you say. So watch what you say. Make sure you give God all the glory. Verse 34, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Well, God really didn't put him down. His own pride put him down. Pride goes before a fall. So God was really just letting him know. God didn't say, I'm going to do it to you. God was just letting him know, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what, this is, this is what God was just letting him know ahead of time. This is what's going to happen. Chapter 5, Belshazzar. Now, this is the king's son. Belshazzar has succeeded his father, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he does something really brilliant. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Why? Interesting. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. Where were they taken from? The house of God in Jerusalem. That place of worship. Bring those vessels that are used in worship. Bring him on over here. And, um, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Now, from a natural standpoint, what is the thrill in this? What is the thrill of this? I mean, here's this king. He's got all kinds of gold goblets. He's got all kinds of silver. He's got all kinds of things to drink from. Why is he doing that? Why are we going, hey, you know what I want? Let's get, let's get the vessels that were used to worship Jehovah. Let's bring them over here and let's defile them. And as we do it, let's worship demons. Now, there's no natural reason for this. There's no intelligent reason for this. I don't see any fun in this whatsoever. This sounds pretty boring from a natural standpoint. Don't you think? I mean, people, I think, are more interested in the wine than they are in the goblets. True? What is this? This is the devil, once again, 
inspiring people to steal worship from God. The devil wants your worship. I said, he wants your worship. That's what it's all about, folks. That's the battle in this world. We're seeing it all through the book of Daniel. Whether it's wars or whatever, whatever, whatever the conflict, it always seems to be over who you're going to worship. Satan wants your worship. Verse 5. In the same hour as they're doing this, they're drinking and getting drunk and praising the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Now, I should have saved this part for October 31st, but it just didn't, it just didn't happen in a timely fashion. We got, ahead, we got a little ahead of, of Halloween, but it'd sure make a good horror story, wouldn't it? Verse 6, then the king's countenance changed and thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. I mean, this guy is really scared. Don't you think? I mean, he's like, his hips go out of whack. His knees are knocking together. He's I mean, he's just, he is terrified. So what does he do? He calls for the wise men, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, and all that bunch. And uh, he said, what does this mean? The, the finger wrote on the wall these three words, and he didn't understand what the words were. And so he's trying to understand, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And thank God for a good wife, the queen. She comes to the king, and she tells him about Daniel. And what a great man he is. And verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And she goes on in verse 12 and says, Let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. This woman's got faith. Let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. Now it's amazing. Why didn't he know that? It's his father. But yet the queen knew it. The queen knew where to go. So they called Daniel Cain. Equipped and ready to answer this dilemma. Daniel was brought in before the king, verse 13, verse 16. Uh, the king goes through everything and then tells him, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and, sh- neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. As if he already hadn't had enough. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another Yet I will read the writing to the king and make it known to him, the interpretation. O king, the most high gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And he begins to preach a little bit. Jump down to verse 20. 
Talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Verse 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. So you knew all these things, but you didn't learn from it. How many people know we need to learn from previous generations? Each generation should be learning from the previous generation. We should be learning from the things they've learned and learn from their mistakes so that we don't repeat them. If we would, then every generation would be better than the previous. We'd just get better and better, stronger and stronger. But unfortunately, people grow up and they decide they don't have to listen to anybody. They can figure it all out. They can figure it out. Usually starts in the teenage years. I can figure it all out. I don't got to listen to mom and dad. They've been down this road a hundred times. I can figure it out. I know better. And so they go out and make worse mistakes than their parents make, cause even more problems for themselves than their parents caused for themselves. Why? Well, because to whom much is given, much is required. So more is required of those that have been given more. And just because you reject the more doesn't mean the more isn't more, isn't more required of you. You're still required of more. So in other words, you receive a, a, a harsher judgment more severe consequences when you should have known better. When you should have known better. See? See, maybe your parents didn't know better, but then they gave you an example that you should have learned from, and you should have known better. But you rejected the example and acted like you didn't know better and did the same foolish thing, but you reaped a much, much worse consequence. Why? Because you should have known better. More is required of you, so... You experienced more consequences for your actions. Did you get that? That's a good lesson right there. That'll make you slow down and listen. That'll make you stop and learn from other people's mistakes and say, you know, I think I, I know this and I've heard, I've heard you now say this now a hundred times, but go ahead and say it again. Go ahead and say it again. Uh, there might be something I didn't quite get from that. Rather than, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I heard that. You know, there's a reason why the Spirit of God will inspire me to repeat some things that, you know, I might have already preached to you several times. But it'll come up again. It'll come up again. Yeah, I know that. And then you drift off and and you go off into la-la land until the pastor finishes that point. And, And then when he finally finishes that point, oh, here's something I haven't heard before. And so your ears get tickled because you're hearing something you didn't hear before and it's got your attention until you start hearing stuff that, you know, you think you know. And then you miss some very important lessons that would have helped you through life, would have kept you from a whole lot of problems in life. Let every man be slow to speak, quick to hear. Let's be good listeners. Let's be good listeners. Build on the values and character lessons of others. Or create even worse moral failures for yourself. That's the choice. Verse 23, he goes on, he says, You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. See, it wasn't just about drinking out of these vessels. 
you lifted yourself up against the Lord. We got to look at everything we do. And, and how, is, how is this in relationship to the Lord? How is this in relation to the Lord? What we're doing, what we're saying. We always need to check on that. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Those are some pretty tough words to say to the king who could say, cut his head off. Take Daniel out back and cut his head off. He could have done that. Daniel wasn't afraid of him. He feared God. God holds your breath in his hands. How many people know that about yourself? God holds your breath. Praise God. Thank God the devil can't take our breath away. He can't take our life from us. God holds our life in his hand. Nobody else. We trust God. The reason why we're bringing, breathing today is because of God. And the reason why we'll be here 30, 40, 50 years from now is because of God. If you want to be here. If you don't want to be here and that works well with God, then go. But you can be here if you want to be. Verse 24. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Meanie, meanie. You're such a meanie. That's my interpretation. Tikel, tikel, you're going to hell. You fressen. This is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikel. Ye have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I like that one. You've been weighed in the balances. How many of you know spiritual things have weight? It's not that God walked over to him and put a scale and weighed his flesh and said, You are way overweight, buddy. You are way overweight, or you, you haven't gained enough weight. No, but spiritually, you've been weighed. You've been weighed in the balance. Let me read this from the New Living Translation. Tikel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have failed the test. Today's English version. You have been weighed on the scales and found to be too light. I think we all get to heaven. There's going to be a scale there. You got to stand on the scale. And they're going to weigh you. And we want to make sure we're not too light. That we can't get in. That we can't enter heaven. Psalm 62 verse 9 says, Surely men of, a low, deg- men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. So he's saying people that seem to be real impressive with the wor- in the world, you know, high esteem, high degree, he said, they're lighter than a vapor. I'm people that's pretty light. 
That's pretty light. He's talking about the flesh. The flesh. No matter how great people are in the flesh, they're just a vapor. Because this life is just a vapor. It's light, and it disappears for a little while, and then vanishes away. It has no eternal value to it whatsoever. But there are weightier matters. Jesus said that over Matthew 23, 23. In talking to the Pharisees, he says, you tithe and you do all this, you do that. He says, but the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. See, you've neglected that. The weightier matters. See, the spiritual matters, you've, you've neglected that. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge, just natural human knowledge, puffs up. But love edifies or builds up. Love will build you up. Love will build you up, make you bigger and stronger spiritually. But just knowledge puffs you up. So it looks like you're getting heavier, but you're just a big puffball full of hot air. Bible has a lot to say about this. Proverbs 16, 2. 16, verse 2, in the Amplified. It says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits, the thoughts and intents of the heart. God weighs your spirit. You need to know how to weigh your spirit. We need to know how to weigh ourselves. Some people are good at getting on a scale and weighing themselves. And they're watching what they eat and they're taking care of themselves naturally. But what about spiritually? What is your weight spiritually? Proverbs 24, 4, uh, 24 verse 12 in the Amplified. It says, if you profess ignorance and say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs and ponders the heart or the spirit perceive and consider it? And he who guards your life, does not he know it? And shall not he render to you and every man according to his works? You sit there, say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. But God knows what you know. God knows what you should know. God knows these things. And he weighs the heart. Job 3, have you know, there's no... Weight. There's no value to a lie. And the more people lie, the more they make themselves worthless. They make themselves lightweights, vapors, useless to the kingdom of God. So we've got to guard ourselves. Job 31 verse 5. Amplified. says, if I have walked with falsehood or vanity, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, Oh, let me be weighed in a just balance and let him who weighs, weigh, let him weigh me that God may know my integrity. So integrity has weight. The more integrity you have, the more character you have, the more weighty you become in the kingdom of God. Let's be heavyweights. Let's be heavyweights. It's okay to gain weight in this area. So just fatten up. Feast. Feast on the word of God. 
Hallelujah. Just eat it all up, man. Just eat it all up. Praise God. Say, I just don't want to have too many calories. No, no, no. Eat it all up. Eat it all up. I mean, get your protein drink. I mean, just drink it up. Drink up the word. Even the living water, man, is heavy. Make you heavier. Because it's full of the glory. And if you look up the word glory, it means weighty. So fill up on the glory of God. Fill up on the weightiness of heaven. And the more weighty you are, the less moved you are by the things of this world. Think about it. If you're full of character, integrity, the glory of God, the character of Christ, you're full of him, full of God. Think of how weighty you are. Storms come, winds blow. Everyone else is just, I mean, everybody else looks like tumbleweed, you know, in a hurricane. Just there they go again, you know. But there you are, just standing there. You're not even moved. Not even moved, just anchored because you're so weighty. And I mean, some little vanity puffball comes up to you, threatens you, tries to intimidate you. And you're just standing there, man, just as weighty as could be. And all you got to do to them is go, and they just blow away. Just blow them away. Be gone. They can't move you, but you can move them. Because those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind. But the double-minded man is unstable in all, all his waves. He's like a wave of the sea, tossed and driven by the wind. So are you a wave being tossed and driven, or are you like the wind? We need to be like the wind, pushing things around. Pushing the waves around. Praise God. We're in charge here. Hallelujah. But that's if you got enough calories going in you. Keep your calorie intake coming. Oh, man, I bulked up five years ago. What happened? What happened? Now you look like a girly man. Now you look like a lightweight. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are Weighed. Man, lots, lots about, a lot about being weighed spiritually. So Belshazzar was weighed and found wanting. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So notice the election of who was going to be the next one in office was decided by how this man treated worship. The next man that was to come into power would be decided by worship. So, what are we saying here? Vote based on how the candidates treat worship. There's some out there today that want to make themselves appear to be faith people. They want to appear like faith people. One of them here in our state now is releasing all kinds of commercials of how she's faith, a faith woman, and she's got scriptures. She had scriptures when she was, oh yeah, scriptures, all kinds of stuff. But then you go back and find out what she believes, homosexual marriage. Bible calls that an abomination. Late-term abortion, murder. What does the Bible say about that? Sacrificing to Molech. Should we go on? Defund the police. I know. I, I don't think the Bible likes that. The Bible, 
Bible says things about defunding the police. I think those are, the Bible calls them in Romans 13 God's ministers. I don't, I don't think God's for defunding police. No. Don't look at commercials. Look at the platform that they stand on and the things that they stand for. Don't let a stupid, weightless, superficial, vanity-blowing TV ad make you go, oh, I like her. I like him. Hit <laughs> a watch, the big bad wolf is coming. And he's going to huff and puff. And he'll blow your house down. So make sure you build your house with some weighty material. Can you say amen? All right, verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. How many people know Proverbs 28, 20 says, a faithful man will abound with blessing. A faithful man will abound with blessing. Do you believe that about yourself? If it happened to Daniel, it could happen for you if you're a faithful man person. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Chapter 6. Hallelujah. We'll get that next time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of the book of Daniel tonight? See, you got to understand, we're not just going through a study of the book of Daniel. We're letting God teach us about things today. Help us right now. So watch how you talk. You might sleep better at night. Learn from previous generations. So many lessons here God has given us, and this is all part of helping us to be faithful, to prosper, be weighty in the kingdom of God, to not be blown around by the winds of adversity. And if we're living in the time of the great tribulation, we'll have no fear even of that if we walk in the kind of character and integrity that Daniel walked in. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God forever. Let's stand on our feet. Let's thank God for the word tonight. Praise God. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.